gentlemen, it is a day that ends in Y, which means it's the perfect day to talk about 80s wrestling. My name is Jumpin' Jay. Welcome back to another episode of 80s Wrestling, the podcast. And as always, I'm joined live from the Wrestling Collector Studio, Mr. Tommy Real Steel Fierro. Real Steel? Where'd you get that one from? Well, the topic of the day is 15 feet high, solid steel cage. And so I thought no better way to introduce you than as the real steel, Tommy Fierro. Steel, S-T-E-E-L. Not like you're stealing second base. I'm talking steel cage type steel. Gotcha. Tommy, how was uh, it? it, Tough start to the show because tough Tough week, tough news for wrestling fans, and I know uh, you were a, a huge fan of this gentleman uh, as a child. Uh, wrestling fans all over the world suffered another tremendous loss. Uh, Paul Orndorff, Mr. Wonderful, uh, left this earth earlier this week. Tommy, I know you were a huge fan of his. He was a big part of your, your childhood and your passion for wrestling. How did that news hit you? What, what, how are you doing? Probably the same as every other person listening to this podcast right now. You know, we we grew up watching these guys. And I've mentioned it here on the show a few times in the past that my favorite angle ever was when Paul Orndorff turned on Hulk Hogan and went with Bobby Heenan. And and just the build-up to that match was second to none, the angle. You know, where, you know, he's on the telephone trying to get a hold of him and... They, you know, they have the warm-up match against the Moon Dogs, and then they wrestle against Stun and Bundy. And it, it, as a kid, not knowing, you know, the inner workings of the wrestling business, you know, there's no internet or even newsletters at that point. Sitting at home watching watching that match and seeing Orndorff turn on Hogan, to me, it was like the world stopped. And I mentioned this here on the past on the show. I remember exactly where I was. When it happened, I was sitting on my, uh, my aunt's couch. Well, there was a family party outside, and I just remember sitting there by myself watching this, and it was like time stood still, man. I, I was in such disbelief that Paul Orndorff would turn his back on Hulk Hogan and go with Bobby Heenan, and they did such a great job building up to that climax and the aftermath also with, you know, them guys working the big event in Canada. And then also, uh, and, and it's a perfect segue in today's episode, we are talking about the greatest steel cage matches of the 80s. And obviously the big blue steel cage was uh, something that both myself and you, Jay, were huge, huge fans of. And how can you not forget the great Saturday night's main event steel cage match with Hulk Hogan and Paul Orndorff. And I think we'll start off today's episode talking about that contest because they did such an amazing job of them both falling at the exact same second. Now, back then, there was no huge monitors projected in the arena where the wrestler walking, you know, climbing down the, the cage can look real quick to see where his opponent was on the other side. I mean, they just timed it absolutely perfect. And uh, 
that is one finish and one match that is infamous with steel cage matches in the WWF during that time frame. You're absolutely right. It is one of the first ones that pop into your mind. If we're going to talk about steel cage matches, we have to talk about Hogan, Orndorff. And like you said, it's fitting to start there because of the recent passing of Mr. Wonderful. And unfortunately, seeing the superstars from our childhood pass away is something that wrestling fans have grown much too familiar with. Um, And the very unique thing is, is because these guys were part of our childhood, we kind of hold them in our mind as forever young. When we picture Paul Orndorff, we still picture him uh, at his, the height of his career, the shape that he was in, the age that he was in. And so it's just kind of, we know these guys are aging. Uh, We know uh, death is a part of life, but it still uh, always seems to be, sad and tragic when you hear of a passing. And so um, our hearts uh, definitely go out to the Orndorff family as they are, are dealing with this loss. And as wrestling fans, the best we can do is talk about the good times, the highlights. And this cage match is definitely one of them. Because like you're talking about, Tommy, they had one shot to get that ending right. They rolled the dice. It was risky. They had to time it just right. And there are fans on both sides of the cages watching each wrestler drop. And you know, if it wasn't perfectly in sync, if it was off enough that you could notice it, they would have been pointing, they would have been shouting it out. And so what a risk to say, this is going to be our finish. We're going to come down at the exact same time. We'll have some, some hubbub with the refs. We'll have to restart the match. But what a, what, what a huge compliment that is to Mr. Orndorff. Normally in this time, Hogan's going over clean on people, but the fact that they had them drop at the same time and had to restart the match, uh, gives credit to Orndorff and, and the character he was and the belief that Vince McMahon had in him and their feud to, to have it end that way just to get restarted. Absolutely, man. And uh, like I said, you, you hit the nail on the head perfectly you know, us growing up as fans of wrestling, we want to remember them uh, you know, the way they were. But obviously, everyone ages and everyone grows old. And that's a big reason why I do my 80s wrestling cons, Jay. And I do the virtual signings and signings with 80 guys and why I, I spearheaded 80s wrestling social media platforms is because we want to hold on to our childhood. And... Uh, you know, that's the best way I can pay homage to something that was such a huge part of my childhood. It was my childhood. It wasn't a big part of it. It was my childhood uh, wrestling. And uh, the best way that I can, you know, pay back all those memories it gave me is by giving them to someone else. And, uh, and Paul, I actually had the pleasure of having Paul on three different conventions uh, throughout the years. And I believe that I was the last convention that he ever did. It was in October of 2019. And uh, I, I want to say this real quickly. What a great friend uh, Brian Blair was, is, always has been, and will be the Paul Orndorff. Um, he actually flew, when because I, I had the Killer Bees and Paul Orndorff on the same convention. And this is in October 2019, 
Brian Blair flew from from Florida to the Atlanta airport to meet Paul Orndorff at the Atlanta airport and then got on a plane with Orndorff and came from Atlanta to New Jersey. And that was back the same way. He went back to Atlanta, uh, made sure Paul got there safe, and then hopped on another plane to get back to uh, Florida. So uh, Brian Blair was extremely, extremely close with Paul and uh, I believe they were best friends. And I uh, just wanted to share the story with, with everyone and, 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 and uh, just know how special Paul was to everybody. It's great when you hear uh, that people in the industry still have that close of a relationship or still that tight with one another and go out of their way to make sure that uh, another one of their brothers is doing well. And so that is a fantastic side story, Tommy. Thank you for sharing that with us. Very cool that you got to, to meet him on multiple occasions and the fact that your convention most likely was the last one he visited because after that convention, you know, the, the pandemic hit and conventions were kind of shut down. Uh, and so that's a very kind of cool piece of history uh, with one of your favorite wrestlers that you have. So that's awesome, Tommy. Let's talk about steel cage matches, Tommy. And I just want to get, I, I have a feeling I know exactly where you're going to come from. Um, Cause I think we're on a, a similar wavelength along with other fans of this era, but I just would love to know your thoughts on what a cage match meant in the 80s and early 90s compared to what they mean today. How has that changed in your in your mind? What are your thoughts on cage matches then versus now? Uh, just, it's completely and totally different, man. Back then, when you put that cage up around the ring, it meant something. And that was an automatic main event at a, a house show, by the event they call now. And... Uh, it was the big blow off of a feud, you know, and back then, remember feuds lasted six months to a year, sometimes even longer. So, you know, after a while, and they always took their time telling the stories back then because it was a different time frame, and you were able to, you know, tell a more detailed complex story and let it play out for a while. And at the end of that road, if the feud was hot enough, you would you would get the the big payoff of of them stepping inside a steel cage match, and uh, many times you know you have a heel manager that was managing the uh, wrestler, and the cage prevented the manager from you know interfering or getting involved in the match. Sometimes a cage match was booked that way to uh, keep the outside interference, but I mean cage matches were gigantic in the 80s they meant everything it was the there was no hell in the cell back then there was no money in the bank back then there was no you know uh elimination chamber back then all all these big gimmick matches of today the gimmick match back then was a steel cage match or a battle royal a battle royal was really really important to the card back in the 80s and we can talk about that for a different topic battle royals of the 80s that would be an interesting episode as well but a a cage match man it it was it was a box office phenomenon back then you 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 throw up those words steel cage on a poster or put it on the marquee you damn well sure know that fans are coming out because they know they're gonna see something special and i wish it was like that today um 
they put a cage up now, it, it, it doesn't really mean anything. Unfortunately, I, I wish that it, it could or it would, but there's just so many different uh, aspects of it today. You, you, they do the war games now in NXT, and, and the war games is obviously something we'll talk about. Talk about greatest cage matches of the '80s. We got we got to talk about that. But they have you know getting back on on track. They have war games for NXT. They have Hell in a Cell. They have Elimination Chamber. They have Money in the Bank. They have all these different gimmick matches now where uh, a cage match kind of, you know, unfortunately falls down the ladder when you're talking about the importance of, 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 a, of a gimmick match in the year 2021. A Hell in a Cell is obviously, you know, bigger than a regular still cage, and so is an Elimination Chamber. And it's more exciting to watch someone climb a ladder and, and retrieve the Money in the Bank briefcase. So, it's a little tougher now to, to make today's generation of fans uh, that are programmed to this generation's uh, of gimmick matches, et cetera, that get them that excited for a cage match. I wish, I wish that it could be different, but I, I think that's, that's a main reason why it's not is because there's so many other uh, big gimmick aspects that they're doing. At least that's my opinion. What do you think? I think you're right. I think it's one of these scenarios where the more you see it, the less special it becomes. Once you go bigger, it's hard to scale it back. Bigger is not always uh, better. And so when you have a hell in a cell, which is a giant cage with a roof, when you have an elimination chamber, which takes it up a few notches, then it's tough to go back to a regular cage match and get excited about it because you've seen bigger you've seen more action and so it does it loses it loses its its aura but back in the 80s back in the golden era of wrestling like you said it was the only gimmick match it was the original gimmick match a steel cage it was designed to punish to inflict pain to to tear skin to, to cause bleeding And so when you saw that cage go around the four sides of the ring, you knew that that feud, that angle had been escalated to the tippy top. It couldn't go beyond this. This was going to settle everything, locking two men inside the cage, two men enter, one man leave. It was the ultimate battleground to resolve a feud in the world of wrestling. And when you saw that steel cage going up as a fan, like you got excited. You felt the goosebumps and the hairs on your arm stand up because you were excited. My question to you, Tommy, is as a child, you had the honor and privilege of going to a bunch of shows. Do you have any memory of being at a show, whether it be a house show or a tape show and seeing the 15 foot high steel cage going up around the ring. Do you have any memories of seeing that firsthand as a kid? Oh, hell yeah, man. Many times I've seen a steel cage match. Uh, like I said, back when I was a kid, they would run monthly at the Brendan Byrne arena at the Meadowlands. It, it went on to become Continental Airlines, Izod Center, et cetera. But back then it was Brendan Byrne arena and they had a lot of steel cage matches uh, back in the day, I remember seeing uh, Hogan and Adrian Adonis. I remember seeing I – mean, there was a lot. I'd, I'd have to, to Google and, and look at old lineups 
of WWF at the Meadowlands, but I, I never missed a show. My my parents took me every month as a kid. So yeah, there was many times I saw steel cage matches there, and 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 the cool thing was back then being a kid, Jay, you know, you when you when you first get into the arena, you, you know, you, you give them your tickets, you go in, you go to the souvenir stand, of course, first to get your T-shirts and your programs and merchandise, etc. And I'm sure my parents must have loved that because uh, I wanted everything. I'm sure you did and everybody else did too. I, w- I would want it even more now, man, if they, if they can produce that merchandise. Um, so yeah, you, you go in, you, you go to the concession stand and get your, uh, you know, your, your food and your, your program and your drinks and all that stuff, souvenirs. And then when you got into the arena to go get to your seat, before the show starts, you look up and you see a cage hanging over the ring. Um, oh no, that 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 wasn't. They didn't do that back then. They they built the cage. What am I talking about? I'm thinking you got me thinking hell in the cell. <laughs> but back then, when I, I lost my train of thought. And I want to say what was cool was you got to have them watch them put up the steel cage uh, before the main event. They would take an intermission or, or say we'll be right back, and they would put up the steel cage. And it was so cool to watch them put up the steel cage because you knew that you know, two wrestlers were about to go in there and, and collide. What I, what I want to say about uh, the hanging steel cages, um, you know, it was cool for today's generation to go to the arenas and see that cage hanging up. But when we were kids, uh, we'd actually get to see them build the cage around the ring. So uh, I, I think that we definitely had a, uh, a special connection to that steel cage was we actually got to see them put it up when when we went there live you know so it made it made you more excited for it and anytime you're at a live wrestling show there's electricity in the air it just feels you can feel it it feels different in that environment but then when you see the cage being brought out and put together like the electricity in the air it grows it's just a different feeling and you know you're about to witness something special, something unique. And so it was an aspect of pro wrestling in the 80s that just, it took an already enjoyable product and it kicked it up a notch. And I love everything about it. And the history of cage matches, uh, they start with basically chicken wire. Then they move to like a chain link fence. And then at least in the World Wrestling Federation, they went to the big blue steel cage. And then they're back to like a chain link fence style. But let's just talk about that big blue steel cage that we remember so vividly from our childhood, Tommy. Its first television appearance showed up at WrestleMania two for the Hogan Bundy match. The storyline reason for the cage change was Bundy was such a big, bad dude that they needed a heavy duty cage to contain him. The real reason had more to do with chain link fence cages are just tough for big wrestlers to climb. And at this time, you had to escape the cage to win. Both feet had to hit the ground to be declared the winner, either through the door or over the top. And Bundy wasn't going to be climbing a a chain link fence. Hogan was athletic, but he's a heavy dude. So the blue steel made it easier for him as well. Give me your take, buddy. You know that I love the blue steel cage. I put it above every other cage I've ever seen. What are your thoughts on that particular cage design? 
the exact same thing you just said, man. Like, I, I loved the big blue steel cage. I know we're being biased. We're going to get to it just for our era, it was larger than life seeing that as, as opposed to uh, uh, the old steel cages, what they looked like. And great, great, great fun fact trivia, Jay, by bringing that up, because that's exactly the reason why they introduced the big blue steel cage was because of King Kong Bundy. Now, I, I was doing a little research before this episode, Jay, about steel cage matches. The original steel cage was very, very similar to what a UFC uh, cage looks like, and they would put that in the center of the ring. They did this from 1937 to the 1960s. I'm, I'm looking at this picture now. I'm going to have to post it on our 80s wrestling social media platforms uh, later today just to give you an idea of what it used to look like. But the first steel cage match was in 1937, June 25th to be precise, in Atlanta, Georgia, a match between Jack Bloomfield and Count Rossi. Uh, that was the first ever steel cage match. And that circle cage that they put inside the ring uh, lasted until the season where then they introduced uh, another cage, which uh, would be like a, a wiring type of uh it would be like kind of wiring instead of like the chains instead uh and, and and they did a lot of steel cage matches in the 60s and the 70s and then you know they go on to make the cage look more modernized as a cage and then i mean the game changer for me with steel cage matches and i guess we can get into this now was seeing jimmy superfly snooker climb on top of that steel cage mat, uh, steel cage and jump off of it. That, that to me is what really, 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 really put steel cages on the map. What, what's your take on that? That is such an iconic moment in the history of wrestling. And we can all visualize that Jimmy Snuka flying from the top of the steel cage, delivering his superfly splash. And wrestlers like Mick Foley do a great job of saying, like, that's a moment that lives in their brain. And that's one of the moments that motivated him to become a wrestler because of the way Jimmy Snuka captivated the crowd during that move. And again, this is, this is an example of bigger is not always better. Less is sometimes more. Jimmy Snuka, when he would do that move from the top turnbuckle, that was fun to watch. That was intense. And then when he took it up and he just didn't climb to the top and do the move as like a throwaway high spot, he climbed to the top rope and then he turned and he kind of looked at the top of the cage and the crowd started buzzing. People started getting on their feet and then he climbed to the top and stood on it and flashed uh, his hand symbols. And then he, he leapt into the air. It is such an iconic moment in professional wrestling that unfortunately is hard to reproduce today because there's so many high flyers and so many impressive aerial moves that simply splashing from the top of the cage probably would not get the same reaction as it did then. But that is a moment that lives in the minds of wrestling fans because that was something you never saw before. You don't see every day. It was unique. 
It was a big move. It has its place in wrestling history, Tommy. Absolutely, man. And and we have to make mention another thing that has its place in wrestling history in the 80s is the NWA War Games, which was a unbelievable concept that they came up with in 1987. And they debuted it on uh, July 4th of all days at the Great American Bash. And it was designed by Dusty Rhodes, the, the War Games. And it was specifically designed for battles between the four horsemen and, you know, the baby faces, you know, led by Dusty Rhodes, et cetera, on that side. And, you know, that concept stayed around for many, many years and, you know, all the way to, you know, 2000. And then, you know, War Games was brought back a couple of years back by, you know, NXT, which, you know, I'm I'm happy to did because it was an amazing concept. It has name value. You hear war games, especially if you're an old school wrestling fan. You know that captivates you hearing that war games. And me being a WWF fan, gigantic WWF fan from back in that day. You know, and you were Team WWF all the way. There was only certain things that would make you turn your head when you didn't watch NWA on a a regular basis, and in that for sure was one of them that you'd be interested in seeing because it was something totally different than what WWF was doing at the time. And it was cool. There's not, there's not just one ring. There's two rings and there's a cage big enough for both rings. Like they went up the concept and, and, and it was very successful and uh, I'm happy to see them still doing it in today's day and age. Listen, you know that I am a WWF guy. Uh, that's what I grew up on. I loved World Wrestling Federation, but I will be honest with you. If we're talking the greatest cage matches of all times, I would say the majority of them take place outside of the World Wrestling Federation. The, oh, NWA, the NWA knew how to do cage matches that were great storytelling. They had guys like Ric Flair, Kerry Von Erich. They, they had guys who who could, who were great wrestlers, who could tell a story, and they weren't limited by being put into a cage. It enhanced their stories. The blood, the color that Ric Flair used to get in that blonde hair of his in a cage match. Great cage matches, NWA. The War Games. I just got done saying that bigger is not always better. This might be the exception to the rule because it was so innovative at the time to have the two rings, the cage, with the top on, similar to Hell in a Cell. But I don't know, man. It just it felt special at the time. And then when you would go back to just a regular cage match, it didn't seem like you were missing out on anything. So I don't know what about the War Games was able to go bigger, but yet make it meaningful and make it enjoyable. I feel much better about a War Games match than I do about Hell in a Cell or Elimination Chamber compared to the old Big Blue. But the NWA, when it came to cage matches, had some of the all-time best, Tommy. Absolutely, man. We, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm Team WWF with you back then as a kid. So, uh, yeah, you have, to, you have to take off your hat and, and, and tip it to pushings outside of the WWF. Because like you just mentioned, uh, the most probably the famous and most classic and bloodiest 
steel cage matches probably took place outside of WWF. I mean, and you look at look at Puerto Rico. How about some of the bloodbaths between say Abdul the Butcher and Carlos Colon in steel cage matches, or, or other bloody steel cage matches there? Or you look at the NWA, you know, Ric Flair and Harley Race at Starcade '83, or you know Magnum TA and Tully Blanchard at Starcade '85, or like you just mentioned, Curry Von Erich and Ric Flair when they had that Christmas Star Wars in 1982. So, or the Wrestle Rock, I remember AWA Wrestle Rock '86. It was uh, the Road Warriors against the Birds. I mean, there, there's so many classic matches outside of WWF that was steel cage matches. And uh, uh, not to take anything away from WWF because they put on some great steel cage matches as well. Uh, and, and like you mentioned, the one with Hogan and Bundy from WrestleMania two, which was the introduction of the, the blue steel cage. That match was so, and is still so underrated um, and I'm, I'm so happy that you brought up that point that they introduced the blue steel cage because of Bundy for that. I, I just, I, and I know I've mentioned this on the show in the past and I sound like a broken record at this point, but I, I gotta, I gotta say, I just, I can't believe Bundy's not in the WWE hall of fame, uh, especially considering that he was the main event of WrestleMania two. And, uh, and the, that, that blue steel cage, man, it brings back great memories. Uh, Hogan and, in Orndorf that we just mentioned about at the top of the program, but about Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant inside a steel cage at WrestleFest 88. Man, imagine if that was, I, I know they went a different direction with the title tournament at WrestleMania 4, but imagine that didn't happen. And they did the Hogan-Andre rematch, which they did in the, actual tournament itself but imagine taking that hogan andre blue steel cage match and putting that as the main event of wrestlemania 4 you know a rematch with hogan and andre but this time it's in the cage man that would have been a gigantic selling point for that show if they didn't have the title tournament you know even if even if they excuse me even if they had the title tournament they they eliminated Andre and Hogan from that. And so I know fans would have felt probably shortchanged if Hogan wasn't at least part of that tournament, but you could have kept the tournament and just had Hogan and Andre have a separate uh, co-main event where they're in the cage because seeing those two guys locked inside that cage is enough to drive tickets, whether it be for the championship or not, there's something special about seeing that blue cage put up. And then when you put two of your biggest superstars in that ring, like seeing Andre the Giant inside the blue steel cage, like nobody wants to be locked in the cage with Andre. Now, granted, at this time, he's not as mobile as he once was. He's not climbing over the cage by any means. But just envisioning the damage that can be inflicted in that cage with Andre is something that would draw fans. And anytime you put Hogan in the cage during this time period, you're going to sell tickets. And so I would have loved to see it part of been part of WrestleMania four, even if the tournament played out the way it did without those two being involved. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, what's your favorite of all time steel cage match? You, you only have to pick one. Man. And as I was, as I was researching and thinking about this, 
it is so hard to pick your favorite cage match of all times because there's parts of multiple cage matches that you really like. There's great storytelling in some um, other things you like the finish, how they do the finish, like the Orndorff Hogan finish is such a good finish. I liked the Warrior Rude uh, cage match at SummerSlam. Uh, the Hogan Bundy one is fun to watch. There's footage of like a Warrior Savage cage. Um, Hogan Bossman's a good one. Then you get uh, No Holds Barred when uh, Savage and Zeus and Hogan and Brutus in the cage. Like there's just so many fun ones to pick from that it's hard to choose a favorite. I will tell you this, no matter who's going in the cage, um, one of the things I miss about the Big Blue Cage is the promos that they used to do before where they would actually have a section of Blue Cage hanging in front of the wrestler and they're cutting a promo. And Hogan does a great one on Boss Man, but I think the best one of all time is Zeus and Savage with uh, Sensational Sherry climbing the cage and coming down and crawling from behind and popping up. Like, they were just so entertaining. And I think that's what cage matches now, they miss that buildup, the anticipation, the excitement, the entertainment portion. Um, do you remember those promos, Tommy, that I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And not only that, but they used to do that, Jay, for the live event uh, shows, too, the house shows. I know that you only got wrestling once every 10 years out in Minnesota where you're at, but up here where I'm at, they would they would film, you know, the promos for the local market. So just say there was a, a six-man cage match coming to the arena with the British Bulldogs and Tito Santana against so-and-so. You would see those three behind the regular fenced steel cage cutting their promo for, for later that night at the arena. So they did that a lot where they would tape uh, interviews standing behind the cage to build up the match. And it, it was super cool to watch it then. It's super cool to watch it now. And again, uh, just another thing that's missing from today's era of professional wrestling that we, you know, gravitate and hold on to from back in the day. And uh, you're talking about ma- uh, matches that I saw live that were in the, uh, the steel cage, Jay. One that I remember I just, I just thought of was actually in Madison Square Garden. I remember being there to see superstar Billy Graham against the natural Butch Reed inside of a steel cage I saw. That would be a great match to see live and in person. Do you remember who went over? I don't, but I also remember, now that I'm starting to think about it, I remember seeing, and it was the main event at the Meadowlands Arena, it was George the Animal Stale against Dangerous Danny Davis inside of a steel cage, and it was sold out. That was the main event of the show. It was George Stale and Danny Davis in the steel cage. And a quick shameless plug, I want to mention that we were actually having Dangerous Danny Davis return to be a special guest referee at our return ISPW wrestling show. Anyone that lives in the New Jersey area, this was my 90s independent promotion, ISPW Independent Superstars Professional Wrestling. We're coming back this Labor Day weekend on... uh, Sunday, September the 5th, it's going to be in Butler, New Jersey, at Memorial Field. We have all the information for it up on, and you want to see the poster for it also, it's up on our website, 80sWrestlingCon.com. 
But uh, Danny Davis is actually going to be the special guest referee from one of the matches, which is going to be super cool. So George the Animal Steel gets locked inside the cage with dangerous Danny Davis. It's the main event. I can only assume that George the Animal Steel picks up the win here. Or maybe you don't even remember. No, no, no. He definitely definitely did. Yeah, he definitely definitely picks up the win here. And that's the main event of the card. Um, it's just it, it doesn't matter who you see inside the steel cage at this point in time. Like just the fact that the cage is going up builds that anticipation, and you know you're seeing something special. Do you have a, a cage match that pops into your head from this era, Tommy? That may not be your favorite, but it's definitely one that you're like, I, I remember this, and I thoroughly enjoyed watching it. Absolutely, man. Uh, you, you you mentioned one earlier was Hulk Hogan against the big boss man inside of the steel cage. Those guys, they just worked great together. Boss man was, in my opinion, the perfect opponent for Hogan. He was, you know, really, really big, young, agile for his size, made Hulk Hogan look like a million bucks. Uh, he, his bumping was great. His selling was great. Everything was great about the boss man, Hogan. And I, and I remember vividly, like it was yesterday, with them both on the top rope and, you know, Hogan superplexing, you know, the big boss man off of the top of the steel cage. You, you never, ever, ever saw that back, back then in, in that time frame. So to see them do that inside of the cage, that, that's one of the uh, – when, when I think of the big blue steel cage, that's one of the first things that I think of is Hogan – you know, superplexing big boss man, uh, and then obviously, you know, with uh, regular steel cage matches, Snuka doing the splash off the the top of the cage, and and I can remember, I used to do a lot of autograph sessions with Snuka back in the day when I was younger. He lived in New Jersey and was local, so I, I used him on a bunch of stuff. You know, you 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 could have ten pitchers at the at the table for fans to choose from. Uh, you know, studio shots, some a couple action shots, the cage pitcher. Uh, and I would say probably eight times out of ten, Jay, maybe nine times out of ten, the fans were picking the picture of him standing on top of the cage. Uh, I noticed that a lot. I must, I did a, a, quite a few autograph sessions with him, and uh, the fans always, you know, definitely advocated towards that picture the most. I probably would have picked that same picture as well. I mean, how can you not? That is such an iconic uh, image of Superfly, and it's so tied to his career. When you think of his career – that's probably the top memory that comes to mind. When you go back and talk about Bossman Hogan in that cage and doing that suplex spot, this was a time where you didn't see Hogan go to the top rope ever. You didn't see Bossman go to the top rope ever. And so when Hogan's standing on the top rope and Bossman, he's coming off the top of the cage in a full suplex to the center of the ring, like – it didn't get any bigger or more spectacular. You didn't need to see a 450 flip, whatever, off the top rope. Like, that was as good as it gets at that time. And one of the things I love about the big blue steel cage is the giant openings made it easier for them to climb, but it also made it easier for you as fans to kind of see the action that's inside rather than looking through a chain link fence. And it makes the photos from that time period so much better as you were talking, I Googled Hogan Bossman, Steel Cage, Google Images, and just the photos 
that they were able to capture of these two guys inside the cage during this battle are some amazing photos, which is another reason why I think the blue cage is awesome because you get these cool uninterrupted photos inside the ring with the cage in the background. But that is definitely one of my, my memories of the blue steel cage as well as Hogan boss, man. And another one is when Hogan was coming down to the ring and I think it was the face boss man, maybe. And Zeus was standing guard at the door when no holds barred came out. Were, were you, you weren't there during that. Were you Tommy? No, no. But I mean, I, shit, man. I remember that like it was yesterday too. Uh, and again, I, we mentioned this on a past episode. I was scared as a kid when, you know, Zeus showed up to the WWF because, you know, you saw the movie and you thought it was the end of the guy, but now he's, he's, it's not a movie anymore. He's here. He's in the WWF. He's coming after our guy and, and our belt. So yeah, I, as a kid, man, I was, I was petrified uh, when Zeus showed up to the, to the WWF. And that, that's another thing that, you know, used the back then they used the, 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 the cage for that. Um, it was a great, great way to, to build more anticipation for that storyline and that angle. And uh, yeah, man, there's so many memories. We, we can probably sit down and, 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 and rattle off tons, and especially if we start doing some research on it, tons of, you know, different steel cage matches throughout the years. And, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to narrow down what your top one is uh, or top ones are. Because there were so many of them. You remember there was you know, NWA, AWA, WCCW, uh, the Von Erichs and the Freebirds. I mean, there, there's a lot of different uh, cage matches throughout the years and how the cage match evolved into what it is today. Um, you know, a regular still cage match is given away on Raw now for, for free, uh, sporadically, whenever they decide to do a, a steel cage match. So they did one at WrestleMania uh, with... Uh, with Braun and, and, and Shane, uh, that was a still cage match, right? This past year. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, they did, they did use it, you know, as, as a, as a, as a gimmick match, as a selling point for this past year's WrestleMania. But like I said, with there being a hell in a cell, with there being a war games, with there being elimination chamber, a regular steel cage really doesn't seem to, impressive or important if you, you stack them up uh, how today's you know uh, generation has been brought up with all these different concepts outside of a traditional steel cage so when, when you do get it, it it really doesn't really mean anything anymore unfortunately I wish that they can go back and and maybe put together a video package you know showcasing some of the the greatest steel cage matches in the history of wrestling and you know reintroduce that concept to to make it mean something again and, and make it more important again. But again, in my opinion, as long as you have these other, you know, bigger and uh, these bigger cage concepts, it's, it's going to fall down the totem pole. Let me ask you this, Tommy, when, when around the early eighties, when the big, big blue came into play, the only way to win a cage match was by exiting the cage, either through the door over the top, both feet had to hit the ground. You were declared the winner. I think they've adjusted it to where now pinfalls and submissions can win a cage match as well. What is your preferred method of victory when it comes to a cage match? 
First of all, I think that new concept sucks. I, I think that the only way a, a cage match should end is, you know, like I said, back then a, a cage match was a heated, heated, heated uh, rivalry coming to a, coming to a, a head. And the only way to, to, to win that match is escaping the cage to get away from your opponent. And the other opponent's job was to do everything in his power to make sure his opponent did not leave that cage. Uh, now it with pin or submission inside of the cage. It's just it talk about watering down. Like it, it's it's equivalent to NWO adding fifteen more members after the initial couple. <laughs> in my opinion, why why put together a match where two guys are forced to be inside of a cage together? where they can win the match the way a regular match can be won. So it, it, to me, it, it just and, – and that's another point, Jay. That's why – another reason why, in my opinion, why a regular steel cage match has, lo- has lost its luster is because you can win the match the same way you can win a regular match. It doesn't make sense. I completely agree with you. I think the only way – to win a cage match is like you said, you're locking these two guys in a cage for a reason. They're that heated. They hate each other that much. And this is the only way to solve it. And so if you're just going to have a pin or a submission, you can do that in a regular match. A cage should be two men enter only the victor leaves and, and the losers left uh, in the ring having to co- collect himself. Uh, you know, talk I'm, a little I'm, bit, but I'm, that's, we're, we're, Real quick, I want to say, and I'm 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 booking off the top of my head. I didn't put no thought into it, whatsoever. I'm just I'm just thinking I'm thinking out loud right now. Just say you had, you know, uh, something happened where Roman Reigns was cutting a promo saying how he, you know, is the the greatest guy to ever come out of NXT and how he was the star of the Shield and how Ambrose and Seth Rollins were just. Hold, you know, riding his coattails, whatever the angle is, which gets Seth Rollins to come out and he can go babyface and 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 feud with Roman for the title, and you know you you have Seth get fucked. They work another match, but Seth gets fucked again by Heyman. Another one, Seth. Some, you think this time Seth definitely has it. He gets fucked again by Heyman. Uh, now it gets to the point where you know the only way this match can, uh, you know officially happen without interference is putting these guys inside of a cage where Paul Heyman cannot be involved in this match whatsoever. Like I'm just, I'm just, I'm literally thinking out loud. I'm not putting any time or effort into this storyline, but I'm just using it as an example. A cage match can mean something if you present it in a way where it means something. I, I mean, wrestling fans are a lot smarter now, uh, uh, both, Mentally and uh, looking at you know the dirt sheets and the and the and the websites and all that stuff, so they know more. But you can still, if the story is right, you can still guide them in the direction that you want to guide them in in 2021. It can be done. It it you have to be able to tell a compelling story though to get there. And you know if you tell a story behind two guys, whoever they are you know, having such hatred for each other and such despise for each other. And it, we just, we need to have this come to an end. 
And the only way to do that is by putting them inside of a cage, locked shut. And the only way that one, two men enter, one man leave, like, it, it's not a hard concept to sell. I just, I don't, I don't get it. It's, it's good as storytelling takes time. And I think in today's world, everyone's so worried about people choosing to watch other things or losing fans um, that they're, they're, they hesitate to take the time to tell stories when really that's what true wrestling fans hunger for. We want storytelling that brings us into the storyline that makes us care about it. That's what separates wrestling from the eighties and the nineties from now is we're just not invested because there's, there's nothing to invest in. Great storytelling takes time and that's what we hunger for. Let me ask you this, Tommy, not known for tremendous in work ability is the ultimate warrior, but he had his great run and he has his place in wrestling history. He had one of the most famous WWF cage matches at SummerSlam 90 against Rick Rude. Here's what I've loved about it is we saw Rick Rude feud with Warrior over the IC title. And so now when Warrior captures the grand prize, the world title, Rick Rude, of course, comes knocking. He wants to reignite this feud. And we've seen it. And so what do they do? They lock them inside a steel cage. And Rick Rude is one of the best workers in the history of the business. They have a great cage match. What are your thoughts about this match from SummerSlam 1990, Rude Warrior steel cage? I loved it, man. It was awesome. Um, and, And Rick Rude was a great, 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 great opponent for Ultimate Warrior, they had a really, really good run. As you as you remember, you know the the the, the pose down between those two, which was at the start of their their feud. Uh, th- those guys worked really, really good each other, with each other. It just goes to show you how good of a worker uh, Rick Rude was. But yeah, that's a, the perfect example. Like that that feud lasted a while. It went from you know it went from them doing the pose down to Rick Rude, you know beating him for the title and then you know, warrior become the champion out there, you know, having, you know, another match. So yeah, I mean, like that cage was, that was a perfect climax for that uh, storyline was, was a steel cage match with those two. Well, that's a perfect example. Did we ever see, and you're going to, if we saw it and I'm not thinking of it, you're going to make me feel uh Inadequate here, but have we, did we ever see a Savvy Kogan one-on-one blue cage match? I'm not sure if it was a blue cage match, but I remember they had cage matches in the past. I believe it was a, a regular steel cage match. I, I've seen, I, I've, I've seen it in the past. I, I might yeah, have been I there. They, I know they did it in WCW. I know they did the the Zeus Savage Hogan Beefcake one. I just can't. That would have been a great blow off to a feud having Hogan Savage inside the cage uh, around that WrestleMania five time. That would have been fun. Oh yeah, absolutely, man. That, 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 that would have been a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, they, they definitely, they definitely did Hogan and, and, and Savage uh, in cage matches. Um, and it just came to my head too, thinking about, about cage matches. I, I remember seeing Hulk Hogan against the one man gang in a steel cage match also at, at the Meadowlands Arena when I was a kid. 
And I'm uh, uh, just trying to remember where it was that I, I, I know definitely Hogan wrestled um, big John Studd in a steel cage match too at the Meadowlands Arena. I, I don't know if it was at the Meadowlands, but I, if you look back in old magazines, uh, there's definitely photos of Hogan and uh, Savage in a cage. I'll have to go do some digging and see if I can find those. I would love to watch some Hogan Savage uh, in a cage match. You mentioned Big John Stud. When we get close to wrapping up, I just was taking a look at the poster for your ISPW show coming up, and you've got a nice homage to Big John Stud happening on that card that I want to talk to you about. Um, what I guess what other cage matches? Like just when you say cage match from this era – we talked about some good ones already. We acknowledge that the best cage matches took place probably outside of the World Wrestling Federation um, with other superstars in other areas. Um, but any other one that just jumps to the forefront of your brain? I mean, I think we, we covered, you know, a lot of them. You know, um, I think the most for me, the one that I remember the most wasn't necessarily the, the greatest still cage match of all time. Like you said, a lot of those happen outside of the WWF, but probably my favorite uh, just, you know, from that time frame being a child was that Hogan-Paul Orndorff steel cage match because it was prime time, man. It was on Saturday night's main event. It was a, it was a, a pretty big deal. And like you said, you know, the, the, the risk they took with, uh, I mean, what happens if, if Orndorff, you know, jumped three seconds sooner than he was supposed to? And what, what, what would happen? They would have to, I mean, it was taped back then, but they, they would have probably redid it. But for the live live audience to see that, so I mean, they did a really great job uh, building that up. But yeah, I, I, I guess for me, man, just because I'm from that WWF Golden Era time frame from '86 to or '85 to '92, uh, like a lot of a lot of us are, that Blue Steel Cage was, you know, the most memorable for me. And I would say, you know, like you said, it was taped, so they probably could have redone it if they needed to. But then you don't get the live reaction that you got. You, the fans have seen it. They understand what you're trying to do, so they're not going to give you the same excited response that we got. And so the fact that they rolled the dice, and not only that, but that they trusted each other. Because either Hogan or Orndorff could have intentionally dropped first. You know, but they did it perfectly. And they have that clip where uh, they splice the tape together side by side and you see both their feet on the ground and they got the time stamp above it. It's such a cool photo, such a piece of wrestling history. And I agree to me, the wrestling, the blue steel cage is what pops to mind when I, when I think about cage matches, Um, not only because I grew up in this era and that's what I saw on TV, but like the LJN ring came with a blue steel cage and it just, it, it just captures that moment in time that, that we fell in love with the sport. And so I absolutely love the blue steel cage. Any, any parting thoughts on cage matches before we talk about what you have coming up? Cause you have some very cool stuff coming up at the wrestling collector and uh, your wrestling show and also a virtual signing at the end of the month that I'm looking forward to. Thanks, man. Uh, no, I, I think I hit the nail on the head about you know how I felt about steel cage matches back then, how it could still mean something to this day if you program it into the fan's head the right way. But, yeah, man, I mean, 
wrestle, you know, steel cage matches was a gigantic part of our childhood from the eighties, looking back on our memories. And, you know, we, we just, you know, reminisced about some of them today. So uh, I think it would be real cool if all of us, me and you too, Jay, and the, the listeners tonight, would you relax in the home, you know, on your phone, scrolling through your whatever outlets you use social media for, jump on YouTube real quick and type in a steel cage match from the eighties and everyone let's all watch a steel cage match tonight. I dig or it. Or, or, or whenever you're listening to this. That's right. All right. Let's jump into what you have coming up this month, heading into the end of the summer when it comes to your world of eighties wrestling. Uh, the first thing I know that is on the top of the 80s wrestling page when you go there is you have a couple of female superstars coming in person to the wrestling collector. Tell me about it, Tom. Are you excited about this? No, I'd rather look at Brooklyn Brawler and and Dustin <laughs> Booger. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we have... Uh, Summer Ray and Tanel Dashwood's going to be at the store doing a signing next Saturday, which is Saturday, July the 24th, at the Wrestling Collector, located at 2772 State Route 23 in Stockholm, New Jersey, 30 minutes north of Wayne, New Jersey. For those that don't live in the area, I might not be familiar with it, it's only 30 minutes north of Wayne. Stockholm, New Jersey, Summer Ray and uh, the former Emma will be there with UFC legend Dan the Beast Severin. All three of them will be signing autographs, taking pictures at the Wrestling Collector on July 24th. Now, we just found out the following week on Sunday, August 1st, we are going to have the Godfather slash Papa Shango live in the store signing autographs and taking pictures on Sunday, August 1st, and then uh, the virtual signing with him for all of our, you know, regular customers on 80swrestlingcon.com. That'll be on Monday. So we're doing in-store with him on Sunday, the live virtual with him on Monday, August 2nd. And then uh, the following week after that at the Wrestling Collector on August the 7th, Saturday, August the 7th, we're going to have WWE Hall of Famer Greg the Hammer Valentine is going to be at the Wrestling Collector as well. So we've got three weeks in a row of signings at the Wrestling Collector. Again, July 24th, the girls with Dan Severin. On August the 1st, we are going to have uh, the Godfather. And on August the 7th, we're going to have Greg the Hammer Valentine. Virtual signing-wise going, our next one is uh, the end of this month, the last Monday of July, with uh, Dean Malenko. That's going to be a really, really, really interesting one. He hasn't done too much stuff that I'm aware of, so it would be real cool to have him. And then our August for our virtual signings, man, are just off the off the chains. We have The Godfather on the 2nd of August. We have Mark Merrow on August 16th. And on August 27th, the big one, Jay, Virtual Mania 2, Attitude. We are going to have Mark Henry, Billy Gunn, D'Lo Brown, and the Headbangers all on Sunday, 
August the 22nd. It's an all-day-long signing, Virtual Mania 2. This is a crazy summer for you, Tommy, and for wrestling fans. The amount of talent you were able to book for this summer absolutely blows my mind, and it's all leading up to your return of the ISPW Independent Superstars of Pro Wrestling show that you have taking place in September. Let's talk real quick about this show. You've got not one. You've got a handful of WWE Hall of Fame legends. You've got Sergeant Slaughter making an appearance. You've got Rikishi making an appearance. You have Dangerous Danny Davis guest refereeing a match on the card. You've got Gilberg scheduled to appear, Crowbar. You've got so many big names. You've got Sam Moo and his, and his nephew Lance, the Samoans. And the thing that jumped out at me when you sent me this poster this morning is you have Big John Studd's son, Big Sean Studd, in a $10,000 body slam challenge, Tommy? Hey, man, ISPW falls under the 80s wrestling con brand. So I have to instill some 80s wrestling into ISPW, not only with just the talent, but you're going to see other aspects of 80s wrestling. The stuff that we're missing, the stuff that we want, the stuff that we remember as a kid, I'm going to give it to you in ISPW. So if you live anywhere in the New Jersey area, definitely come out Labor Day weekend on Sunday, September the 5th, Butler, New Jersey. All the information for it is on our website, 80s wrestlingcon.com yeah we're gonna do a ten thousand dollar body slam challenge with big john stud's son big sean stud who will uh, have his manager and the man putting up the money the winner andy weinberg so we're that's going to be one of the the feature attractions at the return ispw show and as you mentioned sergeant slaughter and rakishi will both be doing meet and greets at the event you can get an autograph and or photo with them. And also Sam Moo will be teaming with his son, Lance, uh, and they will be taking on a tag team that is pretty well known up this way called the now you're going to have Gilberg going one-on-one with Matt Stryker. We are going to have, yes, the Matt Stryker from WWF back in the day. We are going to have crowbar, former WCW star, taking on LSG, who is a hot rising star in Ring of Honor. We are also going to see for the ISPW women's title to crown the first ever champion, Vicious Vicky goes one-on-one with Gabby Ortiz. Vicious Vicky, you might know her as the host of all the 80s wrestling con virtual signing pre-shows she will be in action against gabby ortiz the special guest referee for this match jay will be legendary woman wrestler and she was in the wwf as well heidi lee morgan will serve as the special guest referee for this match and like i mentioned dangerous danny davis he will be the special guest referee for a match pitting Bull James 
going one-on-one with main event Michael Mars. Bull James is the former Bull Dempsey in NXT. Fantastic, fantastic performer. Uh, I've known him since he was 18 years old, uh, maybe even a little bit younger. And let me tell you something, what you've seen him do in NXT uh, it feels in comparison to what he can do in that ring. So if you haven't had a chance to see Bull Dempsey wrestle outside of the WWE umbrella, I can promise you you're in for a treat. This big man can go. He can move. He knows that ring like the back of his hand, and he knows the business like the back of his hand. So uh, he will be in action against Michael Mars, and Michael Mars – is a old uh, 90s wrestler in this area. He was trained by Iron Mike Sharp. He did a lot of, uh, of extra work for WWF back in the early 90s, enhancement talent, whatever you want to call it. Anytime that they were up this way, Mike Sharp would bring a lot of his students uh, to these uh, tapings for WWF and use them as enhancement talent. And uh, Michael Mars, uh, by his uh, uh, real name or different name, was an enhancement guy a lot in uh, WWF. And he's someone that I'm extremely high on. He's a great worker. Uh, He's he's being repackaged with a new name. Main event, Michael Mars. He's got a ton of experience. And this match is going to be really, really good between these two guys. And Danny, like I said, will be the special guest referee for this match. And uh, you never know, Amije, you might see a surprise or two as well uh, at the return ISPW show. Well, Tommy, don't you be surprised if you see a private helicopter land outside of your show uh, at the Richard Butler School and I step out in my red, white, and blue shirt and I climb into the ring with seven feet, 300 pounds, Sean Studd, and I press him over my head, brother. I'm coming home with that $10,000. I'll tell you what, Jay. I think <laughs> as soon as we end this conversation, as soon as this episode is posted, I think you should go and purchase your ticket. Tell your wife, listen, I know it's Labor Day weekend. Tell her you have a very, very, very important business meeting in New Jersey that you need to be a part of come up and we'll have you as the first participant. I'm I'm shooting. I'm not kidding around. You'll be the first participant in the $10,000 body slam challenge. I can't do the helicopter. I don't have your kind of money, but I can definitely have you be the first guy uh, to to, to try and body slam Sean Studd. If you want to be a part of the show, don't tell me brother throwing it out there, bro. Listen, man, I would spend $9,999 to get myself there just so I can come out ahead with that $1 bill after press slamming this giant of a man over my head. Hey, listen, we can make a weekend of it, man. And, and the day before on Saturday, we could do a 80s wrestling trivia at the store with me and you hosting it. So You've given me food for thought, my man. You, you, Dude, you, let's you do it. I love having you into, up there, into coming out to the East Coast, brother. You give me your answer next week, dude. You have seven days and seven nights to think about it, dude. You let me know next Thursday. Right here.
I'm <laughs> down. You got it, man. The harder it is, but harder it is, Baba. You fucking club to the New Jersey for the LSPW. I'll meet you there. You come, I'll meet you there. I fucking put you in the kind of clutch. Fucking, fucking the slot challenge. Iron Sheik challenge, motherfucker. No more questions. If, if if you put Jumpin' Jay against Tommy Sheik inside a cage on that card, <laughs> I was just teasing, man. You give me food to think about, I will think about it for the next seven days, and I'll let you know. Otherwise, this Saturday, you could get sued by Disney, but you got the Beauties and the Beast live and in person at the Wrestling Collector. Got some huge virtual signings coming up. Uh, over the course of this month and next, I'm excited to see everything you're bringing to the table, Tommy. We love it, man. 80s wrestling fans love what you're doing. Keep up the good work, my man. Thanks, bro. Just so you know, I'm definitely stealing that beauties and the beast. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, damn the beast ever. You got a couple of beauties coming to the table. Beauties and the beast. I love it. Do it, man. I'm doing it right now as we speak. <laughs> Multitasking. I love it. I, I'm legit. I'm, I'm making a Facebook invitation right now, and I'm doing live in-store signing. Live in-store signing Beauties and the Beast with <laughs> – I'm doing it right now as we speak. Do it, love man. It. I love it. All right, man. Anything else? No, man. That's all, man. I hope everyone has a great weekend, and I know we're in the – getting right in the, the, the middle of the summer. Everyone's, you know, barbecuing and swimming and having fun, so I hope everyone has a great weekend. Jay, I hope you and your family have a great weekend. And I look forward to your answer. Uh, next week, you have the Labor Day Weekend Challenge. We can do an 80s wrestling trivia, have you a part of the, the live ISPW event. I'll have you as a – Jay, I'll have you – oh, Jay. I'll even throw this in. I'll make you my play-by-play guy if you sign on the dotted line for ISPW. Oh, my word. So you, got, you, got, you can enter the Body Slam Challenge – be my play-by-play guy and do a, a trivia at the store. Brother, bring the Dang, family. A lot of character, man. Labor Day weekend in New Jersey. Bring the whole family. There you go. Make a family vacation of it. I love it, man. Until then, I hope everyone has a great weekend. And we'll, uh, what do you want to do? What do you want to talk about next week? That's a great. That's a great question, man. You want to talk about battle royals? I want to talk about Battle Royals next week. Uh-huh. Let's do it. Let's, Let's do, do it. it. Because this, this was a very, very, very uh, interesting uh, talk. And uh, I think that we could do the same for, for the importance of Battle Royals back in the day. And, again, what, what, it, what, what it entails today and how it involves. So, yeah, man, let's do that. Let's do Battle Royals next week. Book it. I love it. All right, guys. We'll, we'll catch you next week right here on 80s Wrestling, the podcast. Tonight, on Saturday night's main event, you big boss man and the Slickster are going to have your day in court, man. You dudes have been passing sentence on everybody around the WWF with your own brand of justice. But now, I'm the new WWF champion, and inside this steel cage, I'm the judge, the jury, and the executioner, brother. I'm going to throw the book at you, man. The training, the prayers, and the vitamins are going up against the handcuffs and the nightsticks. And once I find you guilty, boss man, in the steel cage, what are you going to look like?
strength when thousands of my Hulkamaniacs tell the largest arms in the world to push your fat head through the cage, boss man. There will be no mercy. There will be no pardons. I will sentence you to the maximum sentence a lifetime in attorney at the doom of Hulkamania. What are you going to do, boss man, when Judge Hogan passes the final sentence on you?